0: Hi everyone, my name is Buzz Hannon and I'm one of the pastors here at Three Crosses Church. I'm so glad you're joining us today as we continue our One Kingdom series where we are searching the scriptures to see how as followers of Christ that we can place our primary allegiance in Him and not in anything else. Throughout this series, we're gonna look at the wide scope of the biblical story of redemption, all the way from Genesis, the first book, to Revelation, the last book of the Bible and see what it might really be like to be a member of the kingdom of God. You know, this kingdom concept has been especially important for me recently. Uh, Since about January, the piece of scripture that I've been thinking about the most is the Lord's Prayer, especially when Jesus teaches us to pray that his kingdom will come, that his will would be done here on earth as it is in heaven. What does that mean, that his kingdom is coming here on earth? Well, today we're going to dig into that a little bit as we explore the big question of who are the people of God? Last week, Pastor Danny set the stage for us as we looked at Genesis one and two and three, and we explored how we as humans are created in God's image with a mandate to be imagers of God. In other words, to be a sort of representative of Him here in this realm, but we sinned. We separated ourselves from God, both in the actions of Adam and Eve, and then each of us personally since then. There is a gap, therefore, in the mission of God's people in bringing His kingdom. The book of Genesis continues on to tell us about how God began to regather his family, first through his promise to Abraham, and then Abraham's family, his son Isaac, and then Jacob, and then Jacob's son Joseph in Egypt. And by the time we get to the book of Exodus, which is the second book in the Bible, Abraham's descendants, now called the children of Israel, are in slavery and captivity in Egypt. Where they had once gone for safety and provision, they're now kept in chains and in bondage. Through miraculous means, God set them free from Pharaoh's grip and carried them out of Egypt and across the Red Sea. Moses served as the leader and as the intermediary between God and his people. And that's where we'll pick up the story today. What does it mean to be the people of God? Or what does it mean to live in his kingdom? Our key text for today will be in Exodus chapter 19 to help give us a glimpse. But before we turn there, I thought it might be helpful to look at some definitions of what we mean by kingdom. You know, when I think of the word kingdom, my default is to think about things like knights and lords and ladies, and sort of these medieval European tropes that go with that. If you're not sure what those things are, I brought some very helpful visual aids and the person of Lego minifigures to help envision this. I want to thank my sons and my wife for helping me build these because here as you can see this king he's got a crown you know and we don't know where his scepter is it's probably in the bin of what I call mixed in Legos but you know we got a lady we've got a horse to ride we've got these standards we've got swords and shield and when I think about medieval kings I think about somebody with functionally unlimited power whose servants do what they say You might think of like a good king who works to protect his people or maybe more like a bad king whose exploitation of his people serves only to enrich himself. My favorite bad king is uh, Prince John in Disney's animated Robin Hood. He loves the beautiful, the lovely taxes, just accumulating money. So is God then just like an omnipotent figure, just like this king who serves primarily to remediate our tax income or our, our tithes? Well, not really. You know, we might think of some other figures from history then. Maybe like these, these pirates, these pirate kings. You know, uh, a pirate king was kind of lord over his domain, king on his ship, and their purpose was to find treasure and enrich themselves as much as they could. Or some people think of pirates as a sort of like romanticized figure, sticking it to the man of stodgy British colonial rule. So is God calling us to be like these kings, these pirate kings to enrich ourselves? Or is God sort of like a pirate king unto himself, pushing back against the ruler of this world? Well, not really. You know, maybe when we think of kingdom, we might think about it in kind of an opposition to a term that's become more popular in Christian circles recently, the term called empire. And this term sees like systems or authorities or principalities or governments as operating like a sort of evil force in this world, which is opposed to the type of system that God advocates for in the Old Testament and that Jesus brings to us in his ministry on earth. This way of thinking contrasts the humility and servant-heartedness embodied by Jesus with the authoritarian, accumulation-oriented systems brought by some in our world today. Of course, the word empire makes me think about Star Wars, of course. And here I have brought Darth Vader and Captain Phasma and a pork from our Christmas calendar, representing those powers of darkness come only to steal and kill and destroy. So does being in the kingdom mean that Jesus calls us to be like Jedis, battling these evil forces hand to hand, using the Holy Spirit, kind of like they did the force? Well, not really. You know, maybe we think of the kingdom in more modern terms. You know, after all, our constitution here in the United States tells us that a man's home is his castle. And who rules a castle if not a king? You know, modern American democracy holds dear the value of the individual, autonomous over our lives, and, and then kind of set free for the American dream. And so here I've got Wild Style from the Lego movie, who really values her individuality and her creativity, and Emmett from the same film, who just really values fitting in and being a part of a team. Does the kingdom of God offer the imits of the world a place where everything is awesome when you're a part of the team? Or does it offer the wild styles of the world a place to truly be yourself? And finally, where you're the master of your own destiny and master of your own values. Are we set free in God's kingdom to chase the American dream? You know, we might also think about the kingdom of God as something kind of out of the realm of the superheroes, this futuristic type realm, or Jesus as a sort of prime superhero who might deputize us to serve and battle alongside him, or even as someone who makes us ourselves into superheroes to fight nameless, faceless evils, or even personified evils, such as our political opponents or corporate entities, or these policies or problems that feel too big for any one person to conquer or to solve. Is the kingdom of darkness inevitable until it is confronted by a superhero, like maybe your favorite pastor or the correct politician or this large social media figure, whatever superhero is fighting for us. Each of these ways of glimpsing kingdom has some elements of truth embedded in it and some truths exaggerated and some truths omitted. When we look at the Bible, sometimes we take these truths that we've learned from our situation and from our history and we export them right back into the text. It's kind of like this model where we see like really two very normal, modern looking people just with a robe on. And sometimes we feel like that's what the biblical view is all about, like looking at our modern world and then dressing it all up all bible for Halloween or something. I don't think that's what it is, but it is something we do a lot without even realizing it. We import values from our culture, from our history, from our nationality, and then even without meaning to, or even without realizing it, we push those values onto our readings of the Bible. Instead, I think we should seek to understand the Bible and then use those values to inform our culture, our history, and our nationality. I don't think this concept is that groundbreaking, that as a Christian, the Bible should be our foundation, but in practice, it's just simply not that easy. that's why I've taken so long to show you some of my Lego collection because I think sometimes we think about kingdom sometimes in very extra biblical terms. All that kingdom baggage that we have in our minds can't help but bleed into how we understand the Exodus and how we understand God's people unless we challenge that thinking on purpose. The things and values and figures and systems that we show allegiance to are not always aligned with the things that the Bible says demand our allegiance how can we then let the Bible form our worldview and our understanding of what kingdom really means? And so with all that in mind, let's take a look here at Exodus chapter 19 and see what this passage has to say about being God's people. I'll read verses one through six for us and I'll be using the English standard version today. On the third new moon, after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that day they came into the wilderness of Sinai, Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. Now, I know I just warned us a few minutes ago that we shouldn't read our personal and modern situation back into the world of the Bible, but the opposite is also true we can't always take something that God promised to someone in history and then immediately apply that to ourselves. You know, some things are for a particular time or a particular place or a particular people. But here though, in Exodus 19, we see that the apostle Peter does apply many of these kingdom metrics to followers of Christ. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse nine. And so what God is saying here through Moses that defines the kingdom or put differently what defines God's people is true both for the children of Israel in Moses' day and for us today. I'd love to offer you kind of six things that I see here in the text that define the people of God. And firstly, I see that the people of God are described in terms of family or in terms of relationship. You know, here in verse 3, God is calling his people the house of Jacob and the people of Israel. You might remember that in Genesis, God changed Jacob's name to Israel. So this is actually the same person here mentioned twice for emphasis because God is building a family. Or put differently, a particular people for whom relationship with him is the key identifier. So Israel here then is a personal name, not a nation state identifier. It's not talking about a particular governmental system or a particular piece of land. It's not a particular political outcome or even a particular point in history to be the people of God, you have to be identified by relationship with him. You know, second, I see that God is not only defining his people in terms of their relationship with him, he's defining them by the fact that he has set them free. You know, I see that here in verse four where God reminds his people that he carried them up out of Egypt. And here, Egypt is both a particular place in history, but metaphorically, it carries that wider meaning, that of bondage and servitude and suffering. It's not just that God moved the children of Israel to a different point on the map. It's that his people are no longer slaves. This transition from bondage to freedom is one that we see echoed significantly all throughout the New Testament, rippling throughout the scriptures. You know, in fact, next week, Pastor Danny is gonna open up the prophetic voices in the Bible and see how they see the time of bondage as forming, what the people of God should be like and who they should care the most about. You gotta come back and join us for next week. Thirdly, I see that God is setting his people free not just for their own sake or so that these people can accumulate wealth or have a different economic situation or even so that they can see their homeland again. Rather, God is saying that he has set them free so that he can bring them to himself. This relationship-centered focus cannot be underestimated. It's not about location. It's not about who's in charge. It's about becoming closer and closer to God if we're gonna be his people in his kingdom, pressing closer to him is what it's all about. Fourth, I see here in verse five that God is not just a God of a local place or of local people, but God is God over the whole earth. Yet he chooses to come close to humanity and care for them, to love them and to treasure them. It's not that God somehow wasn't truly Lord over Egypt and somehow his people couldn't really worship him properly there. After all, if God is God of the whole earth, that includes Egypt. Yet he called the children of Israel out of bondage so that he could show them his love and his loving kindness to them as an example to the whole earth. Right, the major identifier here isn't just the right ethnicity or being born into the right family. In fact, Exodus tells us that many other people groups came out of Egypt alongside the Israelites. The major identifier is that these people wanted to know God and to approach him through their faith and to their allegiance to his kingdom. Fifth, I see here that God called his people out of Egypt for a purpose. Here in verse six, it says that the people were set free to be a kingdom of priests. Now, priesthood is defined almost by its mediative qualities. In other words, the people of Israel were serving as a sort of go-between in the relationship between God and humanity. So even if God didn't reveal himself specifically to the whole earth, all people worldwide, his relationship with Israel and his presence with them was intended to bless all of the earth. We see that even as far back as God's calling of Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. There wasn't anything special about Abraham's ethnicity that caused him to be called. It was his faith in God that marked him out as one of God's people. And through him, all the nations of the earth will be blessed, just like it says in Genesis chapter 12, verse 3. I think that's why the apostle Paul can say, as he writes to us in the book of Galatians, that there's no longer any Jew or Greek, no slave, nor free, nor male, nor female, but we are all one in Christ Jesus. If you have faith in God and a relationship with him through the Lord Jesus Christ, that's at the center of marking you out as one of God's people. And sixth, I see here that the children of Israel are called out as a holy nation. I think that these days, especially in our American context, we often think of holiness as a personal, private affair, almost like a sort of contract between you and God or like a, like a ledger of rights and wrongs that just you and he can see, almost like an employee review process. The idea that there's like a corporate, interpersonal, or group dimension to holiness doesn't always resonate with our notions of right and wrong. After all, here in America, we're really formed by the idea that if you set your mind to something, you can achieve it. Or that if you work hard enough, you can do anything you want. And that opportunity is unlimited and success or failure is primarily driven by you, not by your circumstance. But here in Exodus 19, we see that holiness has an interpersonal dimension as well. This sort of set apartness into a group that's defined by relationship with God at its center. So holy can mean clean and pure, but it also can mean set apart. As people of God, we're not defined primarily by the fact that we're separated from the world, but rather primarily that we are set into relationship with God. You know, thinking about all these ways that Exodus 19 unpacks what the kingdom is like, I like the way that Patrick Schreiner, an author, sums it up. He says that the kingdom is God's rule in God's place over God's people. We're defined by our relationship with God for his purposes and under his authority. Right, The kingdom is God's rule in God's place over God's people. So if that's the case, what isn't the kingdom? What isn't a part of being the people of God? Well, if I'm right about the kingdom being defined by relationship with God, then that means that a relationship with God isn't about a particular ethnic group or a particular national identity. You know, if something isn't true for all the people of God in all places and in all times, it's not a kingdom qualifier. It's more a particular challenge that a group has to face. You know, I love here at Three Crosses that we have an emphasis on the global work of Christ. We have our Three Crosses missions to help us keep this in focus. And I remember a couple years ago, Pastor Mark showed us a video of our suffering and persecuted brothers and sisters in some difficult parts of the world, just weeping with joy when they got their hands on a Bible for the very first time. You know, it's really hard to watch a video like that and then think that our situation here in America is primary. You know, maybe the centrality of being called God's people should bring us that joy just like that, weeping over his word and passionately pouring our lives out for him no matter what our government says. Have we missed something by making our faith particularly American? Now I'm not trying to say that we need to be ashamed of where we come from or that being American somehow makes your belonging in the gospel less. I'm just saying that being an American doesn't make you a person of God, nor does being from a Christian family make you a person of God, nor even does belonging to a church make you a person of God. To be in his kingdom, you have to have relationship with him. That's what's at the center, a relationship with God. Now, next, we see that God's people are set free for a purpose. And so if your purpose in life, if your relationship with God is about yourself or making your own life better, you might not be about the kingdom work. If you're not a part of his mission in this world, you might've missed the mark. While it remains true that your relationship with him is primary, it's also true that as the book of James reminds us, faith without works, it's dead. Here in Exodus 19, we saw that God tells the people, if you obey my voice and keep my covenants, then you'll be marked out as his people. You know, this shouldn't seek to scare us that if we make a mistake, we'll be somehow kicked out of the family or disenfranchised as one of his people. Rather, I think it shows us that we have a relationship with him and a mission, therefore, to undertake. We are set free for the purpose of bringing his kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. As we think about that dynamic of bringing his kingdom, of being his people for a purpose, I think we can make almost two mistakes. And, and the first mistake that we can make is that we focus so much on bringing his kingdom here on earth that we forget about the kingdom in heaven or the world to come. So if we make following God just about showing love or just about doing acts of kindness or just about making this world a more just place, we miss the mark. There's a world coming that we want to be citizens of. As Philippians 3.20 says, our primary citizenship is in heaven. And I think that Paul means by heaven something like that sphere where Jesus Christ has final authority. And here at Three Crosses, we never want to soft-sell that eternal salvation is a relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ. Yet I think there is another mistake that we can make as we think about kingdom living. We can focus so much on the heavenly kingdom and so much on the world to come that we miss that Jesus' kingdom is breaking in here on earth right now all around us. And that part of our mission is to bring that kingdom here to earth as it is in heaven. And so if heaven means something like that sphere where Jesus has final authority, wouldn't we want that to be the case here, now, for everyone, always? not just in heaven after we die? Wouldn't we want his love and his grace and his mercy and his belonging and his generosity to be available for all of us now? Man, I think that we would. And so that's our work as people of God set free for a purpose to make this earth resemble heaven as much as we can, even while we await the full revelation of heaven someday. You know, I love the way that Mark chapter 1 verses 14 and 15 show us that Jesus Christ during his time here on earth marked out the breaking in of that kingdom here. I love to read that together and it says this. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, "The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel." So being a person of God, being a member of his kingdom means that we recognize that Jesus is Lord, that Jesus is King, and that the things of this world are not. It means defining ourselves both as individuals and as a group by virtue of our relationship with him, and it means being about the mission of bringing that kingdom here into this world. Like the Gospel of Mark says, the kingdom is at hand, and that means that it's now, believe in the gospel, believe in the good news that Jesus Christ is Lord and he's here and he's coming soon. That good news doesn't mean that everything is perfect for his followers and here even in Mark one, we see that John the Baptist was arrested, imprisoned and further beheaded for his allegiance to Jesus and to the gospel. Sometimes those forces in our world are against the gospel yet the kingdom of Christ is here and it cannot be shaken. You know, next week I'm looking again forward to learning along with Pastor Danny what the prophets, what Jeremiah felt like the kingdom should be defined by and what its people should act like. What values are important to the people of God and and what do they look like? But for today, as we look ahead to responding to the Lord in worship, I wanna ask you a question. Are you set free by the Lord? Do you feel more like one of those children of Israel here in Exodus chapter 19? Hearing good news from the Lord about being set free from bondage, filled with purpose, excited about what's to come? Is that where you're at? Or do you feel like somebody more still stuck in Egypt, waiting to see salvation breaking through, hoping that one day God will come into your life and fix some things, that one day, finally, you might be set truly free? Or do you see yourself more like the Egyptians who are working for an accumulation of wealth, a set of values that focuses on this world and things that the culture around you says are important? Or are you defined by those things that the Bible says mark us out as people of God? Wherever you are, whether that's celebrating being set free, whether that's longing to be set free someday, or whether you realize, man, I haven't been about God's mission here in this earth, we can bring it to Him. And so I'd love to pray together as we look to reflect in our time of worship. Will you pray with me? And so, Father, as we look to respond to you in song, we remember that you have set us free. And like you tell us in First John, whoever you have set free is truly free. Father, as we seek to be your people, will you help us to understand that that's primarily being in relationship with you? Father, if there's anyone out there who hasn't stepped into that relationship with you, would you give them the courage to acknowledge you as Lord. Even right now, we pray in Jesus' name. Father, for those of us that accept you as Lord, but don't know quite how to walk that out as we bring your kingdom here, Father, would you give us wisdom? Would you give us courage to follow where you lead? Will you help us to be about your work, to be about your mission, to be about your kingdom? Not about this world, not about our own, not about selfish purposes, Father. Help us to be about your work, Father. May your kingdom come here on earth as it has in heaven. We pray in your name, amen. Hey everybody, thanks so much for watching. Hopefully you were encouraged by what you saw today. My name is Danny, I'm the pastor at Three Crosses and just wanna encourage you, if you're looking to connect more, you can check out our website, threecrosses.org. We stream our services every Sunday. You can jump in on that or if you live in the San Francisco Bay Area, come and find us, we'd love to connect with you. Before you go today, hit the subscribe button, keep up to date with what's going on week after week. We'd love to stay connected, have a great one.